turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, if you would. Chapter 3, verse 7. We're talking about the church in Philadelphia now, not the church in that Philadelphia, but the church in Philadelphia in Bible times. Verse 7 says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command and endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, out of all these seven churches that we're writing about, reading about, this one is the, nearly the most perfect. There's no condemnation. There's no correction. There's only encouragement to persevere through difficult situations. So a little history of Philadelphia. If we can show the map, you can see where it is. We mentioned earlier that in the, the letters as they were written, and the order that they're in Revelation, they're basically in the order of the, the road that went around. So the first church was Ephesus, and you have Smyrna, and then Pergamum, and Thyatira, Sardis. The next one's Philadelphia. The last one is going to be Laodicea, but it's basically the route in which someone would have traveled, which is why they're in this particular order. It was about 25 miles southeast of Sardis. It was built on a high plateau, and therefore, it was a strong fortress city. A main road that connected many of the various cities in the area ran through their town. It's surrounded by many industries, such as leather, leather, vineyard, and textiles. And it was a very prosperous city. And as we know from current day, it's, it means the city of brotherly love. And literally the name Philadelphus, which means brother lover. It was named after its founder, the Pergamum, the Pergamenian king Attalus II around 150 BC because of his love for his, his natural brother. And this particular city was destroyed by an earthquake around 17 AD. It was rebuilt, but a lot of people had moved away and now lived in the suburbs of Philadelphia because they were fearful of another quake. And kind of like it is today, as our country started out, everyone lived in the city. And mostly after World War II, it's everyone spread to the suburbs and moved out of the city. That's kind of what's happening in Philadelphia here. People were kind of worried about moving back into there. They were skittish about any kind of tremor they might hear because it, it annihilated the city the first time. And they would leave this town at the slightest vibration. Now, we don't know if, where this church was located. We don't know if it was in a higher plane, and we don't know if it was in a lower plane. But it's associated with the inner city. So we're going to assume that it was close to the inner city. So let's look at this verse by verse. Verse 7. John writes, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and when he shuts, no one can open. 
How many have heard the phrase, when God shuts the door, look for a window? That can be good. That can be not good. Sometimes God closes the door to close the door. There's no window. If you're going through a window, it's not God's door. You ever have to be reassured in your life that God's there? You wake up and you, just feel, you don't feel God? And maybe you need to be uh, encouraged that God can actually intervene in your life. There's a lot of people walking around, and sometimes I feel this way, maybe you do as well, that it's all up to you. No matter what I do, where I go, it's all up to me. We kind of negate the fact that God can intervene in your life to change your direction. If you're listening and you pray, God will change it as you listen to him. Sometimes God has to change it by force. But God can do it and he has a meaning and a purpose for everything that he writes. Now we look in this in verse seven, it says, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Now it's kind of redundant, right? Why would he write that? We, would, we know that fact, right? Isn't this something we already know? And we would assume that this church in Philadelphia knows it as well. Well, yeah, sure, God is holy, God is true. Jesus needs to draw their attention to the fact that each of these phrases is identifying himself as the Messiah of that church. Now remember, they don't have the New Testament yet. They only have the Old Testament. So they, re, they had to rely on what's written in the Old Testament. And when Jesus refers to himself as holy and true, he's requoting various verses in the Old Testament. Hosea 11.9 says, For I am God and not man, the holy one among you. Jeremiah 10.10, but, oh, but the Lord is the true God. He is a living God, the eternal king. So when he is writing, this is the words of him who is holy and true, John is letting them know that this is the Messiah. This is actually God writing these words to them. They didn't have the New Testament to refer to. They only knew the Old Testament, so he's reminding them using scriptures that they would know from the Old Testament. He wanted to remind them that he is the one true God, and their faith that they have right now through difficult times is not in vain. Remember when John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one or is there another one? Luke 7, 19. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? We did a series on a Wednesday night called Faith and Doubt. How many have ever had doubts about your faith? Come on, we all have had doubts. The context of the book is it's okay to doubt. Why? What, is what, what does doubt make you do? Doubt makes you search something out to find out whether it's true or not. If you have doubt about something, you want to find out whether it's true, whether your doubt is right or whether it's wrong. And it's okay to have doubts. And Jesus is encouraging through John that it's okay to have doubts because they're going through a difficult time. But you need to know that even in your doubts, God is the one who you can trust. And you may have doubts, so don't sweat it. God's still holy, God's still true, regardless of your doubt. God can work even though you doubt. Even though John had doubts about Jesus, what did Jesus say about him? Luke 7, 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Having doubts is not a sin. How many understand that? Doubting is not a sin. 
allowing those doubts to defeat you can be sin. God's saying, no matter what you're going through, and if you have doubts, that's okay. Just understand that even in your doubts, I'm there. I'm holy and I'm true. The word is true. Everything I said is true. Let that be the one that conquers your doubt. He goes on in verse seven and says, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Again, this is a quote, again, from the Old Testament, Isaiah 22. And the story in Isaiah is God is having to take away authority from, from this guy who was running amok. He was totally anti-God. He's taking, this guy's name is Shebna. He's taking his authority away because of his unfaithfulness and giving it to this guy called Eliakim because Eliakim was found faithful. So he's basically taking the king away, taking the keys away, taking his authority away, and giving them to Eliakim. Isaiah twenty-two fifteen says, Furthermore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty told me to confront Shebna, the palace administrator, and give him this message. Who do you think you are building a beautiful tomb for yourself in the rock? For the Lord is about to seize you and hurl you away. He's gonna send you into captivity, you strong man. He will crumple you into a ball and toss you into a distant barren land. There you will die, and there your glorious chariots will remain broken and useless. You are a disgrace to your master. Skip to verse 20. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and into the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. How many feel, when you look at the world, you kind of feel defeated? Every, all these negative things that are going on around the Bible says the time's coming when that's going to end. There's going to be a time of judgment. There's going to be a time where God takes the power away from those who think they have it. And he's going to give it back to us in the new heavens and the new earth. The keys here symbolize the authority that the king has. He gives the keys or the authority to those he trusts. He delegates authority to those who trust in him. John is telling the church yet again, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Regardless of what you're going through, it may seem like it's terrible. But Jesus has the ultimate authority over it. And if it's a negative situation, God is there through the situation with you. How many have been through bad times? Everybody. We all go through it. If you haven't gone through a really horrible time, I don't mean to encourage you, but it might be coming. I heard someone say you're either going into a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial. The Bible says in this life you will face tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. God's able to bring you through every situation. Now I went through and I I did a Bender paraphrase of those verses to see if I can get it close to what God's trying to say. Here it is. Jesus saying, I am the Holy One, the perfect God who does all things well. I am the true God, one who is faithful to do all he has said. I have authority over every situation. There is nothing that I cannot control. I'm the one who begins things that man cannot stop and stop things that man cannot revive. 
things that are happening in the world are not catching God off guard. They're not frustrating him. And my opinion, I think God's allowing this to happen to get our attention. The church. We are the ones that need to make sure we're focused on the Lord, not the situations around us. You think about each of these statements in relation to, to your lives. The first one, when the, when the perfect God says he does all things well, it eliminates the thoughts that we have that God's missed something or not doing something. You ever feel like God, you're, you're, God tell God, hey, whoa, God, you see what's happening over there? You see what's happening in my life? Are you looking at me? And John's saying nothing that God doesn't see. No matter where you are, God's there. God can see where you are. He knows where you are. The Bible says in Hebrews that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows exactly what you're going through. Anybody here ever hire a professional to do something in your house? Why do you do that? Because you can't do that, right? You know that this guy or this girl has the skill to finish the job. And even though it appears when he's halfway done with it, then it's never going to get done. How many watch those home improvement shows or those home rebuilding shows where they basically gut the house and start over? Now, the show is only an hour long, but you know it takes longer than that. And as you're looking at that going, they're never going to finish that. They're never going to get this thing right. How are they going to put all this stuff back together again? And at the end of the show, you see it's beautiful. And sometimes when we're going through a situation, we see the same thing. We don't see what's going, we can't see an end to it. We don't see what's, what's God actually doing. But as Judy said, in, in how many know, or how many are surprised that Judy preached? That Judy shared with her verse? How many know the Holy Spirit does that? Because the Holy Spirit knew that what she said, he was gonna say here. Regardless of what's going on, God has a skill to finish the job in your life. And you may not think that you know what's going on, and you may not be confident in what's going on in your life, but you know that God's in control, that God is gonna finish it. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God. And the things we think in our life are, are terrible, and they might be, but God is still working things out for you. And you don't understand what it's gonna be like, you don't understand why you're going through it, and this church, we're gonna find out, is going through the ringer. And he's telling them, in spite of what you're facing right now, be encouraged because God knows what the ending is gonna be. The second part of that says, I'm the true God, the one who is faithful to do all he has said. How many of you have a promise book? God's promise book. How many of you look through that every once in a while to look up a promise that you need for that day? Do you think that God has not lived up to his promises? Well, the God's promises, they work for somebody else, but they're not working for me. There's people you go through, you know, I look at Gil and Marion, and I don't know five people going through the struggles that they're going through. <laughs> and you wonder why. And the truth is we don't know. But I know that they're trusting God through it. 
They're trusting, in, and as we pray for them, as their prayer chain is notified and we pray for them, they're trusting that God's gonna work it out. And up to this point, God has slowly brought her to a point, slowly kept her going, and we're trusting that God's gonna continue to do that. I wrote here, God said to the church who was facing trouble and did not see an end in sight that he was still faithful if we trust him to the end. How many of you are praying for loved ones? We all are, right? And in my prayers, I'm thinking, I pray, Lord, I would like him to be saved when I'm alive. But either way, I want him to be saved. You look at Jesus' brothers weren't saved until Jesus died. So I'm, I'm cool with God saving them after I'm gone. Or even if God saves them through me being gone. Because ultimately that's what matters. In the end, we want people to know Christ. We want people to come to know Christ so that they're in heaven when they die. And Jesus is saying, it's a struggle in this world, but in the end, in the end, it's what we're looking for. Heaven is gonna be there for you, so it gives you the ability to face what you're facing now. The third part of that verse says, I have the, I have the authority over every situation. There is nothing that I cannot control. You ever need to be reminded of that promise? <laughs> you think that the world is out of control, or maybe you think your life is out of control. The things are going on that I, I just can't control, whether it's an illness or a family situation, you just, you don't have control over it. But the Bible says that God has control over everything. And sometimes I need, to be, I need to be reminded of that because it appears every news article I read, the world is more out of control. No matter what we as believers do, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. But God says, I'm still in control. There's nothing that I'm not controlling. I mean, God says, there's nothing that I do not have control over. And that gives me comfort, right? Because it's not up to me. God calls us to be faithful where we are. And we sang that song, Build My Life, at the end. Think about what that means. You build your life, your center of focus around Christ. Think about this, when you get married, now you build your life around that relationship. Then you have kids and you build your life around that, which means you still do all the other things, but in the center of that, and the reason you do all the other things is for that, it's for your family, for your spouse. That's the way it is with Christ. We all have jobs, we all do different things, but the center of it and everything we do around that is because of the center, because of Christ. So we build our life around Christ, and he's telling them, no matter what's going on around you, as long as you build your life on, on Christ, everything else will take care of itself. Because you, Matthew 6, 33, God gives that, you know, whatever you need, God, food, shelter, God will give it to you. Trust him, do what God tells you to do, and God will provide the rest. The current situation you may, are in, you may be in may seem insurmountable. But you know what, God has control over it. How many of you were alive and cognizant in the 70s? How many remember 
20% inflation. You couldn't, buy, you couldn't buy a house because of the 20% interest rate on a house. And everybody during those times was just out of control. It was just, they had a misery index. How many remember the misery index? And then Jimmy Carter had that misery index. And everybody thought, oh, it can't get any worse than this. And then the 80s came. And that was gone. The 60s. Started out the 60s. Nirvana, 60s was perfect. End of the 60s, riots and picketing and fires everywhere. And then that kind of died down. So it's nothing new that we're experiencing today. It just is more visible because it's on every news outlet and social media thing in the world. It's no different. God was in control of that. God's in control of this. Out of the riots and fires and the bombings in the 60s, what happened out of that? Jesus movement. Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith. There was a the Catholic revival during that time. It's when things get tough that people come to God. So I'm, we're praying that God reaches people during this time. Because when people realize that they can't control what's going on around them, they need a God who can and we live our lives knowing that God can control everything. And regardless of what's going on, we still have trust in God. The first part of that verse says, I am the one who begins things that man cannot stop and stop things that man cannot revive. What, what's one thing that God started that man can't stop? Well, I think the church, right? Man has tried to stop the church forever. What does Matthew say? He says, I'll tell you, Peter, that you are on, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God's going to protect the church. And God's going to protect a godly church. God's under no obligation to protect a church that's gone wayward, that's doing everything but preaching the gospel. But if a church is doing what God calls it to, the gates of hell will not beat that church. How many are encouraged by that? If God wants to work in your life, he is going to do it. He is going to make you what he wants you to be. Now we can either go along with that and make it easy or not. Jonah didn't. God still accomplished what he was going to do through Jonah, but Jonah had to suffer to get to that point. John's telling this church, look, God's going to do something with you. I know that you're struggling, and I know that you're having a hard time with it, but trust God to finish the work in you. He's going to finish it anyways, so you might as, go along, might as well go along with it because God's going to do it, and when you're done with it, man, you're excited because God actually used you. God's going to work in you, but it requires us to believe what he's called us to do and then proceed with it, and then God will finish it. You know what that means? I, I saw a meme the other day. I don't know if Gil posted or not. There's a guy leaning on a shovel. He says, you can pray about that hole, but God's not going to dig that hole for you. 
There are things that God asks us to do as Christians. He will give you the strength to do it, but he's not going to do it for you, which means we have to step up and answer what God's called us to do. Our, our Wednesday night lesson kind of ties in again with what Jamie was sharing and what we're talking about. The lesson on Wednesday night is God's calling you to do something that is out of your comfort zone. It may sound dangerous. It may sound radical to you. But if God's calling you to do it, God is going to do it. And he's going to do a miracle through it. And they, they use the Ab- example of Abraham offering up Isaac. You know, God says, give up your son. I'd be like, no, no. What else? And like that girl who's given up stuff that God told her to give up. Now, the speaker did say this. Make sure God's telling you to do that. Or you're going to wind up with nothing. But if God tells you to do something, do it. And man, you will be blessed in the end and you'll see God doing something through you. All the stuff that, that was provided to her as being faithful, isn't that a testimony of what God can do? It's one thing to give the stuff away. But then to see God actually doing something miraculous to you. I bet that girl went out really encouraged. Man, what can I give away now? What does God want me to do now? When you see God actually doing something through you that is miraculous because you've taken a step of faith, and we're talking about risk on Wednesday, when you say that, you do it, and it, and it works. Okay, Lord, what's next? What's next? We've been praying for the roof. Got that $11,000 check. Okay, God, what's next? What's next? What are you, what are you gonna do next? Let me be open to that. And in each one of us, God, what radical thing are you asking us to do? That really seems crazy, but I know you're asking me to do it. Give up my van. And you will get a new car out of that, but you know, has God given you, has God given you that, that vision? <laughs> yeah, Pinot. How many do you have a Pinot? God requires us to believe what he's called us to do. Whatever, God, whatever door God opened for you, God's gonna keep it open for you to walk through it. And until you walk through it, God's gonna keep it open. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. Remember, I started, I started Bible college and since I had a job and a family, it was, you know, at nights and it was taking forever. And I thought, I'm, I'm never going to finish this. I'm never going to be done with this. One night I'm reading this devotion, and this verse, God jumps out at me. <laughs> it says, I'm sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished. What's God doing in your life that you think is never going to end? God is going to finish it. God's going to finish that good work. So whatever you feel God's telling you to do that you don't feel like doing, you know, it's never gonna end, God says, I'm gonna finish it. You can either step through the door or I'm gonna push you through the door, but I'm gonna finish it. I wanna be walking through the door to know that God's on the, on the same side as me. And on the flip side of that, if there's something that God doesn't want to happen, there's nothing we can do to make it happen. <laughs> If God said in Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, 
that means nobody or nothing is gonna change that. No matter how you feel about it, no matter what people tell you, the Bible says, God says, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. You may feel like you're a million miles from God, but the Bible says, that's not changing. There's a thing that says, if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? God's with you. Just like a parent with a wayward, wayward teenager, you're always there for them. They may be not in the house doing their own thing, but God's with, God's with you and God's with them. I watched an interview with Alice Cooper the other day. How many know Alice Cooper? Vincent Fournier is his real name, but Alice Cooper is his stage name. How many know that he's a Christian? He's been a Christian for a number of years. And uh, his dad's a preacher, his grandfather's a preacher, but before he got saved, he was you know, really out in left field, drugs and all kinds of stuff. And his parents, I'm sure, were praying for him. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God went out and caught him, brought him back. Who are you praying for that you don't think God can save? And once they're saved, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Nothing you can do to change that. You can walk away. It doesn't mean God forsook you. It means you forsook God. So all those verses we kind of put together, let's try it personalized. Again, this is a bender paraphrase addressed to our church. Dear church in Dover, I want to let you know that even if your situation causes you to not feel like it, I'm still the holy God, the one who is forever. I'm also the true God. Don't let anyone convince you that what I promise isn't true. You see, I have the authority to do whatever I want. I am more than able to meet your needs regardless of what, they may, be, what may be going on around you. There may be many struggles and opponents in your life, but they have no power over you. I control even the bad things. Nobody can change what I want to do for you. Now that's just my paraphrase of those first couple of verses. That sounds a bit better. Verse eight goes on and says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is the one church that has only commendations. Jesus has no rebuke or correction for these folks. Sometimes we forget that God knows and, every, and remembers everything, which is good because I don't. Sometimes we may feel What's the use? God doesn't know what I'm doing. God doesn't care what I'm doing. It doesn't seem to have any effect on anybody. But the Bible says, I know what you're doing. I know every little ministry that you're doing. I know every little effort you're doing on my behalf. I know how you struggle. I know things that nobody else knows but you. Is that encouraging? (laughs) Hebrews 6, 9 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. All the work you've done, if you've been a Christian a while, you've done ministry for years. And sometimes you even forget what you've done. The Bible says, God remembers everything you do. 
from the very first ministry you have until the time you go home. God knows every one of them. And the Bible says he's not unjust. He will not forget your work. Everything we do for God, God remembers. And he tells them there's a door opening, a door opened for them, which means there's still work to be done and he's prepared the way for them. Now I actually have two more pages. I actually have eight more pages, but we're gonna stop here. Because I, I really let you out last week late. And it, you know, it's okay for you guys, but for the people that are watching your children downstairs, who really are banking on that 12 o'clock dismissal time, and they have to work another half an hour. Yeah. So I'm going to stop here because it's straight up 12. One last sentence. I, I actually already said it. There's still work to be done, and God's prepared the way. That's what I want to leave us with. God's doing a great work. God's done a great work. But there's still work to do. I mean, know that. Still work to do. There's still people that don't know Christ. There's still people in our church who need prayer. There's still people who are struggling. There's still work for us to do. We have a bunch of kids downstairs, some teens upstairs, all the adults. It doesn't just happen here. There's ministry all throughout. The women had a special night. The guys get together. The kids are together. There's always things going on. There's always work to do. And God's prepared the way. We just got to step up into it. I mean, would you stand as we close? 12.01. I won't be in too much trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We know that our lives are not perfect. We know that we struggle through various situations. Some of us, it, it may seem, have it easier than others. But God, you're going to balance the books at the end because we're all going to get the same reward in heaven. If we serve you, we'll get more rewards because your word tells us we should work for those. But Lord, we know that there's an assignment here for us to do now. You've opened a door for us in this community. You've opened a door for us in our lives, our personal lives, maybe our work life. And no one can shut that door but God, you're asking us to walk through it because when we walk through it, you want to accomplish something on the other side. Right now, we're walking through a door for the veteran service. And whatever services you have next for us, Lord, we want to walk through those doors. We want to be able to reach people with the gospel of Christ. We want their lives to be transformed. We pray for miracles. We pray for healings and we've experienced them. But the greatest miracle, Lord, we know is someone who gives their life to Christ. Their heart changes their life, transformed by the power of God. That's the miracle we want to see. Everything else is secondary to that. But Lord, you use everything to get people to that point. So I pray that you continue to answer prayer, that you still do miracles in people's lives, that you heal that God, you do great things in order for other people to see what the power of God can do in a life. 
We thank you that you've done that in our lives. We've experienced it, we've seen it, and we know that you're real because we've experienced it personally. And I pray for each person here that God, they would also experience that personally and that would energize their faith. That they would walk out excited for what God has next for me to do, for what God wants to do through me. That actually the God of the universe wants to work through little old me. Your word says, who is man that thou art mindful of him? In other words, who am I? God, who is Jeff that you care about me? That you actually want to use me? Why? Why me? But the Bible says he does. That's for everyone. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon us as we leave today. I pray that God, you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the wisdom and direction we need and allow us to see you working through us to accomplish miracle after miracle after answered prayer after answered prayer. And Father, we will thank you. Thank you that the God of the universe has chosen to work through me, through each one of us. So Father, I commit all of us to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night and then Sunday next Sunday for the veteran service. Be praying.